This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, let us rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here. I'm delighted that you have decided to join us for worship today. I want to commend a couple things to you. The first is that we have an online bulletin for our service. The link for accessing it is in our video description. That bulletin contains our, our, our hymn, scriptures, prayers, that kind of important information. There's also a link there for online offerings, but we'll talk about that a little bit more later in the service. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we are here to rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, we are in the midst of a sermon series called the Jesus Prayer Book, in which every week we're looking at one of the Psalms that show up in the Gospels, because the Psalms were Jesus' prayer book. It was kind of like his playlist, the songs that he was most familiar with, and it's amazing how many times lyrics from those songs show up in the Gospels. Uh, today, I'm calling the sermon that I'm going to preach for you Psalm Sunday, because uh, it it's kind of like Palm Sunday, even though it's not actually Palm Sunday yet, but the readings that correspond for us today are those that show up when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Uh, but the crowds, they, they say Hosanna, and that's a quote from the Psalms. Now, every week that we've been doing this series, I've been encouraging people to write down the music that, that you've been listening to, what's been showing up on your playlist so that we can share what kind of musical interests we have with one another. Uh, in, my, in my house, my family, we've been listening to the work uh, of a woman named Madison Cunningham a lot in the last week. She's a, a singer-songwriter, and she, the way she's just got this remarkable voice. She can just really belt out a tune, and she's got this incredible song uh, called Something to Believe in. And the last line of it is, can I believe in your love? Uh, and when I hear that last note of the song, it just kind of like gives me goosebumps. And I've just been listening to it a lot. So I commend Madison Cunningham to you. Check her out. You can find her on, you know, Spotify and Apple Music and YouTube and all that kind of good stuff. But you, you won't go wrong checking out Madison Cunningham. What kind of music are you listening to? I'd be curious to find out. Uh, two more things. One is an announcement about announcement. 
uh, I encourage you to stick around toward till the end of the service today because we have a special announcement we want to share with you. But the other announcement I can share here at the beginning of the service is that for Easter Sunday, which is going to be the 4th of April, we're going to be having a drive-in worship service at 11 a.m. on Easter Sunday. So if you live locally, plan to come join us on Easter Sunday at 11 a.m. in our parking lot. If you don't live locally and you'd still like to participate, we will still have an online service that will begin right at 11 o'clock on Easter Sunday as well. So two ways to join us for Easter worship. And again, please stick around till the end of the service for another announcement. So with that, let us bow our heads, perhaps find a comfortable posture as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for making us thankful. We thank you for life itself, for the energy your passion for creation gives us for friendships through which we discover our own lives, for love that reminds us we are bodies, for that body called church where we discover who we are and whose we are, and for your Son who makes us part of your redeeming work. For all of these things, we thank you. And now, Lord, each of us will continue to pray to you by lifting up, whether silently or aloud, our own joys and concerns this day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As I said at the beginning part of our worship service, we are in the midst of a series called the, the Jesus Prayer Book, where every week we're looking at a psalm that shows up in the Gospels. Today we're looking at Psalm 118, verses 20 through 25, and Mark 11, verses 9 through 11. Hear now God's holy word. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us. We beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. And then from Mark 11. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today comes from the United Methodist Hymnal. It's number 474, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. If you're unfamiliar with the words, you can find them in our online bulletin. 
but I encourage you to sing with me now as I head over to the drums to play and sing, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When my way grows drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone Hear my cry, hear my call Hold my hand, lest I fall Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home When the darkness appears And the night draws near And the day is past and gone at the river I stand, guide my feet, hold my hand, take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord, O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm convinced that every pastor has a favorite Palm Sunday story. You know, like the year when the palm branches were delivered a little too early and they were left out, so they dried out so much so that when the gathered congregation shook them over their heads on Sunday morning, shouting Hosanna, uh, palm branch particles went flying in every direction, resulting in coughing fits among the people of God. Or like the time when the pastor thought it would be a really great idea to dress up like a donkey and preach the sermon that Sunday from the perspective of the animal who carried Jesus into Jerusalem to which the pastor received perhaps the best comment of all time. You know, you're not the first donkey we've had in that pulpit, only they didn't use that word to describe the donkey. Or there was the one Palm Sunday when the children of the church processed in, waving their palm branches, singing their hosannas, only to begin smacking each other in the faces until a nearby parent had to jump up from the pew, jump in to break up the melee between the children, and then muttered a little too loudly, Lord, save me from these children. I think that preachers like me like to tell stories like those and retell them year after year because the actual story of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, it's rather perplexing. To put it another way, it's a whole lot easier to tell a cute or a funny little story than it is to come to grips with the Lord of Lords entering into the city that will ultimately hang him on a cross. Or still yet, to put it another way, we'd rather hear something about ourselves when Jesus crosses the threshold to the seat of empire instead of admitting that this story has little, if anything, to do with us. Of course, it's only natural to present Christianity as a way to help people obtain whatever it is they think they need to have in order to, to, to make their lives more livable. Are you feeling afraid? Come to our church, listen to our sermon series about handling anxiety. You feeling lonely? You'll discover that we have the friendliest church in town. 
Have you been hurt by the church? Don't worry. Here we practice open hearts, open minds, open doors. All of those things, they, they center around attraction. It's, they're slogans for how we advertise the church. Just scroll through Facebook or, or drive around town and you're liable to see those very kind of expressions adorning what we call God's holy church. And to be clear, they're all true. There is something about the church that it is designed to comfort the afflicted, to give us words and phrases and images to make sense of so many senseless things. There is something about the church that's designed to rid the world of the insipid disease of loneliness. After all, we're a community of people who share one thing in common, Jesus. There's something about the church that's designed to rectify the wrongs of the past while casting visions of a new and a different future. Those things, they're they're all true, but they're only true to a point. Because when, when all is said and done, friendliness and peace and hospitality, they are part of what the church is, but they are not the chief reasons for the church. The church is the body of Christ in motion. The church is Jesus's presence in the world, and Jesus belongs to himself, not to us. We don't lead the church. We follow Jesus. Now, I don't I don't know what you know about Jesus or how he's met you along the road of life and opened your eyes to things you never saw before or how he found you when you needed him most, but I do hope you know that Jesus delights in calling some of the strangest and oddest people. How Jesus enjoys using losers and failures to be instruments of his mercy and grace. Frankly, people like you and me. You know, the great gift of the church is that God in Christ makes our lives far more interesting than they deserve to be. Because Christianity, it's not a religion, it's not a club, it's not a civic organization. Christianity, it's an adventure. It gives us a story when we had no story. It breaks us free from the monotony of life. And perhaps most importantly, it proclaims to us the truth. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Which in the end is, is exactly what makes the church so exciting. You know, like with Jesus, we never really know what's going to happen next. The Holy Spirit, it, it blows where it wants. It, it directs our attention toward things that we usually miss. It kicks us into gear when the appointed time arrives. We're given a gift. The greatest gift in, in the history of the cosmos, completely and utterly for free. We have already been freed from the chains of sin and death, and we didn't have to do anything to deserve it. Now, the God we worship, the one who brings life to the dead, who, who calls into existence things that do not exist, our God is very loquacious. God works with words. God creates and God reveals God's self through speech. And notably, for our text today, Jesus, God in the flesh, says nothing. Put that on a banner and see how many people log in for online worship. So listen, two of Jesus' craftiest disciples, they procure a donkey for their Lord. He mounts the dirty animal and enters the holy city. 
Now, the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the larger the crowds become with people rushing forward to catch a glimpse of the Messiah, the, the promised one in the flesh. Now, on either side, in front and behind, people are shouting and singing, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus, riding on the donkey, he crosses into Jerusalem and he goes to the temple. He takes a good gander at everything within his frame of vision, but noticing the lateness of the hour, he departs for Bethany with the twelve. Here endeth the reading. What started in Galilee is now coming to fruition in Jerusalem. A carpenter turned rabbi, fished out some fishermen, conscripted them for kingdom work, Went about from town to town, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, all while telling the the most bizarre and perplexing stories about scattering seeds and wayward sons and never-ending wedding feasts. And at first, Jesus didn't look much or sound much like a Messiah. Sure, he could do some incredible things. He told some wild stories. But the predominant question that followed him everywhere he went was, where did he get this authority? You see, there were messianic expectations. The Messiah was supposed to say and do certain things, and Jesus said and did some of them. Even entering into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey was part of what had been prophesied before, but there will always be a profound difference between what we expect of Jesus and what Jesus does for us. By the time he hits the, the holy city with his parade of palm branch wavers, he's quite popular. You tell a bunch of people who are stuck on the bottom rung of the socio-political ladder that they're going to be first in the new kingdom, and you're liable to have a pretty big crowd show up. But perhaps part of Jesus' popularity came from being misunderstood. I mean, after all, the, the, the last being first, it sounds really nice, but who willingly signs up to turn the other cheek? Who, to go the extra mile, to, to, to pray for one's enemies? Who wants to hate their mother and father for the sake of God's kingdom? Who jumps on the bandwagon of carrying their own crosses, the very method used to murder enemies of the state? People had their expectations of Jesus, and people still have expectations of Jesus. Now, on that day, by the outskirts of Jerusalem so long ago, the people with their palm branches in their hands, they had an idea about who this Messiah was and what he was going to do. Consider, what are they shouting along the road? Hosanna! Which, if, if we're not careful, that just becomes another word muttered by Christian types without proper reflection. Hosanna literally means save us. Save us. But save us from what? Jerusalem was occupied. The Roman garrison was entering the holy city on the other side while Jesus was entering his side on the donkey. The Roman garrison was displaying their force, their power, their empiric rule. The people of God were living as strangers in a strange land in the very land that God had promised to them long ago. They'd been forced to adopt customs. They were even forced to use currency that ran counter to their faith forced to provide economic security for the very powers and principalities that threaten their lives. And then comes Jesus, this new David, come to take back power, give it to the people. And no wonder the crowds were shouting Hosanna when they saw him entering on a donkey. Jesus, Jesus was going to put them back in charge. 
The crowds, they, they take from Psalm 118 this cry for deliverance, this Hosanna, this save us, and, and they put that expectation squarely on Jesus. Now, perhaps then we should call Palm Sunday Psalm Sunday. But what happens when this Messiah doesn't arm the common people with weapons to prepare for insurrection? What happens when this, this Messiah doesn't even stop that day to address the crowd, to, to rile them up with one more speech before he enters? What happens if day by day less and less people follow him? Well, by the end of the week, the very people who were shouting Hosanna on this day are the same people who shout crucify on Good Friday. It is all too easy to cast Jesus into the roles of our own choosing. It's, it's like second nature to put our words into Jesus's mouth. We still would like to see him parade into the madness of our circumstances to champion our hopes and our dreams and disrupt and frustrate the designs of our enemies. But Jesus doesn't come to bring us more of the same. He doesn't enter Jerusalem to establish yet another political regime that results in one group lording it over everyone else. Jesus comes to do for us and for the world what we could never do on our own. Jesus, knowing full and well that we put our own expectations on him, still chooses to die and rise for us in spite of us. God in Christ fully God, fully human, Jesus mounts the hard wood of the cross and pronounces a decree of forgiveness for a people undeserving. Now that is the central affirmation of the adventure we call Christianity. God, creator of all things, lays aside all mightiness to come down to us, to dwell among us in the muck and in the mire of life, to, to be one of us. God chooses freely, willingly to take on vulnerability and human frailty just to rectify all that we've wronged. It's one of the great ironies that despite the cross resting at the center of this adventure, we have such an aversion to it. I mean, did you know that, that some of the fastest growing churches in this country, they don't even have crosses in their buildings or in their sanctuaries? because the cross doesn't sell. It's a sign of death. Even, even though we hang it up, you know, in our living rooms and, and wear them around our necks, we often forget that a cross is something you die on. Jesus's entry into Jerusalem, much like his ministry, it's, it's kind of like a parable. You know, parables, after all, are stories. They're about who God is, and they're only secondarily about us. These palm-waving crowds, they remind us of the wonderful foolishness by which God does what God does. The people that day, they play no role other than showing that they haven't seen the whole picture. They shout, just as we would, Jesus, save us! And here's the great news. That's exactly what Jesus does by the end of the week. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray.
Lord, in your tender love for the world, you sent your Son to take upon himself our very nature to suffer death upon the cross, giving us the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant, O Lord, that we might walk in the ways of his life and share also in his resurrection. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word, and now we respond to what God has said uh, with the giving of ourselves, our time, our effort, our prayers, but also with the giving of our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you to give to God through Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You may give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can bring your offering to us. We have a drop slot by our main office doors. Uh, but give. Give with glad and generous hearts that Cokesbury might continue to be a church that proclaims the great, good, and wonderful adventure that is the gospel. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So please join me as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. Before I offer our blessing and benediction, as I said at the beginning part of the service, uh, there's one more announcement that we would like to share with you. The United Methodist Church is what we call a connectional denomination, which means we are connected to other United Methodist churches in a way that other denominations, they're just not, it's not the same kind of thing. Uh, part of that is we, we partner with churches in ways that, that are uncommon among other parts of Christianity, but also it manifests itself in the way that we receive our pastors. Uh, we have an appointive system, which means the bishop discerns when the Holy Spirit is moving so that a particular pastor can arrive at a church at a particular time. It was just about four years ago that I received a phone call from the bishop. I was still serving my first church, and the bishop said, Taylor, I, I've discerned that your gifts and graces are best fit for this season now at Cokesbury United Methodist Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. So my family and I, we moved, and we came up here to Woodbridge, and we've been serving here uh, nearly four years and it's been such a joy and such an honor. Well, part of this, uh, this connectional system, part of this appointive system, is that I don't get to choose the church I go to, and the church doesn't get to choose the pastor they receive. Now, that can sound daunting, but I think it can actually be quite beautiful because it allows for a very incarnational ministry for, for a partnership to occur between a pastor and a church that, that otherwise might, might not have occurred. Well, I'm sharing all this with you because today is one of these announcement Sundays where pastors share with their churches whether they are staying or if they're moving. And I need to share with all of you that a few weeks ago I received a phone call that the bishop is, has discerned that I'm being projected to serve a new church starting July the 1st. Uh, starting July the 1st, I will be serving Raleigh Court United Methodist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Now, the way that I kind of feel about this... Uh, my, my son Elijah, he has this great book called Happy Sad, and it's all about how you can feel more than one emotion at one time. 
It's a profoundly good book. Any parents out there, I highly recommend it. But nevertheless, uh, it's been important for me to kind of think about having mixed uh, emotions. I, I've really enjoyed getting to spend the last four years here to, to serve this community and to get to know so many of you, to, to marry and bury and baptize the people who call Cokesbury home. I'm also very excited about what this next chapter will look like for ministry, for myself, for my family, for, for Raleigh Court. I'm also excited for what's going to happen with Cokesbury. As I, as I said in the sermon, one of the great things about this adventure we call church is that Jesus is already ahead of us, gone on, to, gone on back to Galilee waiting for us after Easter. Exciting things are in the future, but it's also okay to feel uh, other emotions at the same time. So we don't yet know who the next pastor of Cokesbury is going to be. Um, that's part of the work of the cabinet and the bishop to discern who, who should be coming here next. As we find out that information, we will do our best to share it with you. And so I humbly ask that in this time of transitions, I know it's been a year of a lot of transitions, um, I ask for you to pray for me. Uh, pray for me and my family as we take this next step towards serving another church. Pray for Cokesbury. Uh, so that it can be its fullest during this time of, of preparation for whoever comes next. Pray for Raleigh Court. I mean, you all have had me for four years. You've had to listen to me every week, and, and now they're going to have to do that. So pray for them as well. Um, and, and pray for whoever might be the next pastor of Cokesbury. It's going to be exciting stuff. The Spirit moves where the Spirit wants, and the Spirit is moving now. The Spirit is stirring things up in Woodbridge and in Roanoke and all across the world. And what a joy it is to be caught up in God's great adventure for us. So keep me, keep my family, keep yourselves, keep this church, keep the community in your prayers, and we will make it through this together. If you have any questions, uh, if you have any concerns, if you just want to talk uh, throughout this time of transition, please uh, call me, email me, send me a message on Facebook. I I'm happy to talk to you, and uh, I will share more information as we get closer and closer to the time of transition about exactly what this will mean for me and what it will mean for this church. So I thank you for your prayers. And with that, let's now have our blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see, know, and believe that the good news really is good. That even when we go from Hosanna to crucify, we are still saved by the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you again next week, same time, same place, to hear more of the Jesus Prayer Book, to listen to Jesus' favorite playlist, so that we might learn more about this Lord, and at the same time, learn, learn more about who we are and whose we are. Go in peace, be well. Amen, amen, and amen.
Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee, ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me, Spirit divine. Open my ears that I may hear voices of truth thou sendest clear. And while the wave notes fall on my ear, everything false will disappear. Silently now I wait for thee, ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my ears, illumine me, Spirit divine. Open my mouth and let me bear gladly the warm truth everywhere. Open my heart and let me prepare love with thy children thus to share. Silently now I wait for thee, ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my heart, illumine me, spirit.